finally we got around to talking about potatoes and I asked him my crinkle cut theory. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Read my lips. No new taxes. I want you to listen to me. I'm going to say this again. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. It's the Ricochet Podcast with Peter Robinson and Rob Long. I'm James Lilix. The day we talked to our old friend from the National Review, Jack Fowler, talking about Buckley, the other one. So let's have ourselves a podcast. You also said that you were invited by a friend, Barry Weiss. My friend, Barry Weiss. So this friend works for Twitter, or what is what is her... Um... She's a journalist. So you're in this as a threesome? Welcome, everybody. This is the Ricochet Podcast, and this is episode number 633, and I don't know why I'm emphasizing those words as I do, other than, you know, here we are, we're having fun, we're together, it's me, it's Peter, it's Rob, and, you know, it's Ricochet. And if you haven't been there, you gotta go there, ricochet.com, and find your place in the most stimulating and civil conversations on the right side of the web. Gentlemen, good day. How are you? Sorry I was gone last week, but uh, yeah. not sorry at all. I was luxuriating in the white sands of... Oh, knock it off. Okay, sorry. I won't... White sands of Mexico, though. Let's, let's be... Yes. It's, and you, it's... you were not kidnapped. No, I, I was I, I I was not down there for okay. some well, congratulations. I was down yeah. there to enjoy myself and while well, my wife played tennis. It's our little indulgence of the year. That's lovely. Where where were you? Uh, a grand palladium in uh, north of Cancun. You got to bounce around for about an hour in the ru- not just awful roads to get there. And when you do, you're astonished that they built this place where they there's a two lane road coming to it. And how did they get everything from there to here? It's an enormous thing. You can't figure out the economics. You can't figure out how much they make. It, Your white sands were on the Pacific or on the Sea of Cortez? No, on the Atlantic part. Yes. Oh, on the Atlantic. Uh, 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 uh. Okay, sorry. Cancun. So it was gorgeous that and great. And I thought Cabo, right. So I'm happy and I'm back now in the snow and all that and the rest of it. Yep. The world turns on. We had this week some interesting congressional hearings, I think. Uh, usually I don't say that. Usually it's just <laughs> for somebody to get up and blather away and nothing ever happens and nobody ever gets called for their misinformation. But there were two of them on... Uh, Twitter, is it the most important thing in the world? No, but it's germane. The COVID hearings, I think that matters. Uh, let me know what you guys think. First of all, Twitter. Rob, I know, uh, loves Twitter, can't stay off it. And he was glued, I'm sure, to every single second of Schellenberger and uh, Matt Taibbi were interrogated by some of the, and I shouldn't be ad hominem, but some of the dumbest box of rocks I've seen expostulating from a government position in a long time. That sounded like a question to you, Rob. Yeah, I did. I'm sorry. I was on mute. Uh, oh. I, you know, uh, I, I actually, I, I have a hard time getting too exercised over the Twitter thing. And whenever I say that to people, they get really mad at me. But I just like, I, I get it. I just feel like we, I mean, I don't know. I feel t- the, the, the idea that Twitter, um, I mean, look, it's bad, but they did. And I'm glad we know what they did. And I'm glad that people who's in the, the media they, who's in general. The they, who's the they in your statement? Um, the the people running Twitter at the time, not the government. Um, well, yeah, I guess so. I just I just kind of feel like it's a it's it, it is one more indication that I think is fair. Um, that is um, it seems seems to be ex- exercising the left a lot, but it's something the people on the conservative side have done all all along, which is that the 
the news that we are getting is is often shaped by the priorities of the people who are choosing what to put on the front page or page A29 um, or what to shadow ban or what not to. I mean... Thus it has um, always been, but this is a difference of the government. This is a difference of the government talking to the people who do the disseminating and say, thou shalt not amplify this viewpoint. Well, I mean, that, I, that, I, guess, I guess my argument is this, is that the government didn't coerce them. These were... Like, these were, these were um, uh, yeah. that's, that's not so clear. <laughs> I don't know. Like, like I, I feel to me like these were, these were all already in the tank. They're it's, it's as if like the, the Biden administration doesn't have to coerce the New York times to print its nonsense. They, they agree. Nice yes. little social network you got here. Shame if anything happened to it. That's right. That's right. Uh, maybe, they did, maybe the people were leaning into this, but at the same time, uh, who knows what they might have done in a more free-flowing exchange of information when they don't Elon have Musk takes over Twitter. He discovers that his predecessors have indeed been censoring all yeah. kinds of political points of view and scientific points of view. Jay Bhattacharya, we now know, Barry Weiss, Barry Weiss is the one who broke the story that Jay had been on some block list that kept him from... Okay, all that is true. Elon lets us know by releasing files to Barry Weiss and Matt Taibbi and Michael Schellenberger. I think there may have been one or two others, but those three for sure. Right. And Matt Taibbi and Michael Schellenberger get called to testify before the new committee on it's being called the committee on the weaponization of the government i'm sure it has a more a boring formal name all right and they are submitted to hectoring and the most ignorant demeaning kinds of questions you can possibly imagine or at least i couldn't have imagined it from the democrats on the committee particularly debbie wasserman schultz who said, isn't it right that you shouldn't accept spoon-fed, cherry-picked information if it's likely to be incomplete? In other words, you, Matt Taibbi, and you, Michael Schellenberger, should not have accepted this leak from Elon Musk. And they both just looked at her and said, uh, no, that's not the way you're... No! You're, yes or no? Yes or no? It was unbelievable. And then this other... What, what, I can't remember the other one's name. The other, there was another member of Congress who was trying to make it look as though they were in it for the money. And, or and she said, and who's this Barry Weiss person? She'd never clearly never <laughs> even heard of Barry Weiss. I looked at I was so astonished. I looked it up. Debbie Wasserman Schultz received 129,000 votes when she was reelected. I am pretty sure that that is that Barry gets a bigger number of readers on her Substack every single day. Well, we have more and, podcast listeners. Yeah. Exactly. What is Substack? What is Substack? What is Substack? She's, look, <laughs> what is she's Substack? looking at like this 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 amusing little trifling meaningless so, detail that arose in the course of the life. So, Go on. So this is this is what's left on the beach after the Democratic tide, after the years when they controlled the House. It's over. And Debbie Wasserman Schultz hasn't adjusted. She doesn't know what a fool, what a how hectoring, how demeaning the idea that any citizen, let alone two very bright, extremely skilled journalists, should be subjected to bullying by some two-bit member of it's just anyway, I thought it was A, it was delicious, but B, it was kind of shocking that Debbie the lack of self-knowledge, the the feeling that she could go into these hearings knowing as little as she did, and and assuming, just assuming, that to state that you ought to abide by government censorship would would somehow elicit immediate obedience, all that it was kind of shocking what they've been thinking all along, and now finally gets exposed. That was my take, James. 
Yeah, pretty much. I'm just curious about the fact, A, again, as we go before, their idiocy. What is this Substack? What is Twitter? What is it? What are all these things? Um, because they're, they're utterly out of touch with the information dissemination mechanisms of today, and they don't feel the need to be in touch with them because they are important, powerful people in the government, et cetera. Right. And they, the intellectual incuriosity of them is extraordinary. The defense of the state to ferret out sources, which seems to be a break with what we assume to be a bipartisan tradition about protecting sources, right. Um, right. we tossed out the window immediately because we have to get to the bottom of this, which is what exactly, what do they think was trying to be accomplished here that there were this there was a a band of well-funded vociferous idiots who were determined to make America consume horse dewormer and bleach by some devious means in order to accomplish something I don't know none of that I mean what they think the other side was trying to do is is still a mystery to me what we wanted at the time was a full discussion of what was happening. And every time we started to go in, in ways that were not, um, you know, officially approved, all of us in the guardrail snapped out of place and we were put back in our, in the proper lane. Now, why was this done? One might say that spending too much time and attention on the Wuhan Virological Institute spending too much time looking at the way it gain of function research was offshored from the United States to other countries like, well, I don't know, China, that spending too much time looking at eco health and too much time looking at the, where the money went, where, and who to, you know, finding the fingerprints of Dr. Fauci here and there was inconvenient and unnecessary because what we really had to do was to look forward and all that stuff doesn't matter. Well, all that stuff mattered a lot. It mattered then and it mattered now. And the idea somehow that the left, the institutional left, would throw up all of these barriers to a free inquiry to finding out these things because of, oh, I don't know, xenophobia. Uh, I don't know, because the wrong people might say that it's uh, China's fault and then go attack somebody in, in, in New York on the subway. We were prevented from having the discussion we needed to have then, which and in the hopes that it would all blow over and that we would continually move forward. There'd be an intellectual pandemic amnesty and nobody would suffer any consequences. That's what they wanted to do at the time. They wanted us to have a discussion, keep us from having discussion on all manner of things, from the educational impact of the lockdowns to the economic. I mean, all of it. We needed to have a robust discussion. We needed to have a conversation first and foremost about the Great Barrington Declaration, not because it's some sort of manifesto of wild-eyed, bomb-throwing maniacs out there, but because it's an alternative to doing what we did, which was wrong. So the idea that now, at this point, they are this angry about somebody coming out and saying this was done is stunning to me and tells you what they will do without fear without question without hesitation if something else comes along and it's anywhere near in the ballpark of what covid was that's the end i'm done for the day thank you very much it's been a great time have the deal <laughs> there's one piece of this that i want i'd like i want to make sure that rob saw rob's busy but i happen to know one of the projects rob is working on involves a long-form treatment of what happened during covid all right so cdc director robert redfield testified and he, he was asked if it was likely that American taxpayers, you remember that they right. they covered up the notion that they, we weren't even allowed to ask whether the virus leaked from a lab. Now it seems more likely than not that it did leak from a lab. What was it doing in the lab? It was being developed in gain-of-function research. Who was funding that? 
And Dr. Redfield was asked if it was we, the American taxpayers, who funded it. And Redfield said, quote, I think we did, not only from the NIH, but from the State Department and from the Department of Defense, close quote. The sitting director of CDC at the time of the outbreak is now right. on record as saying that money from the American taxpayers was used by Dr. Fauci and others to create the virus. Right. It's staggering. And, and they, they knew, or they, I don't know if they knew, you can't know the future, but they anticipated and they uh, were concerned about what every, every sentient adult knows, which is that these things never work. Like somebody's going to walk out of the lab with the virus and not know it. Right. They knew that. So they stopped doing it here in the United States, which they used to. And they said, well, where can we do it? Where nothing, where, you know, like big deal. So it happens. Where's the great place? Where human study? life is cheap. Is it, let's well, go ahead and say and that's, that is, that's a thought in yeah, the back of everybody's mind. That is mind. exactly right. And that is outrageous. That, by the way, that, but that is a, a, an attitude on human life that is shared um, uh, enthusiastically by the communist government in China. So, right. but, but the, 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 in the age of blunder, which we're in now, they thought, which is something that every person knows that there will, that they could do this and it wouldn't escape the lab. And th that to me is what's the most sort of, you know, shocking. There's a, I, I, I wrote a column about this last week. There was a guy in, on January 11th, I think, I may have that date wrong, this year, contractor for the FAA, and they're going through all the, the, the horrible house of cards, uh, computer code that kind of runs our um, aviation system. Which everybody agrees is at least two decades out of date. Two decades out of, but it's, it's worse than two decades out of date. It's two decades out of date with a bunch of patches. You know, it's like, it's right. horrible, right? right? So he's right. It's one guy, by the way. He's in a room with a bunch of other people. One guy, by mistake, deletes some code for the norm something, something, the, the uh, I forget what it's called, but it's the alert system that all the pilots, everybody uses. And every single flight is grounded for two hours in America. Remember that happened this year? Yes, yes. yes. Um, it had to happen since 9-11. Now, <laughs> imagine being that guy. You know, that feeling like we've all have we've all had that feeling, that moment where you think, oh, no, what just happened didn't happen. I left a bag with my iPad and my computer and a bunch of things on the, the subway. L.A. Yeah. subway yeah. once. Right. And because I was I'd taken it for the first time and I left the, the train. And just as I realized what I'd done, I turned and I saw the doors close and the train go away. And I had that feeling. It's not the same thing as, as grounding every plane, but there someone's always going to do something like that. And when they, they, they designed a virus, this is actually what's amazing. They designed a virus that was perfectly, perfectly created so that you could have it for a week and not know it and spread it. Um, and so somebody had it for a week and didn't know it and spread it probably in October, maybe, uh, or some version of it, because guess what? You know, there's always some reason you have to run out, to the lab and you don't, you don't do the shower or change your overalls <laughs> exactly. or whatever. So people just make these mistakes and, um, and the, 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 the compounding problem we had at, was we had sort of a nervous breakdown, a panic attack among the policymakers and the media. 
And then we had a, uh, a terrified, you know, the guy in the FAA reaction from the people who knew exactly what had happened and how it had happened. And you had this sort of horrible, perfect storm of people lying. Um, and the irony is, is that, that everybody in America kind of knew the truth, maybe not the mm -hmm. details of the truth, by June. We knew that, you know, we're all going to get it. And some of us were going to get it and it's going to be bad. But those people we kind of can, can anticipate. And some people are going to get it and it's going to be fine. And all, Ameri all people knew the truth. That was what I think was the, the weirdest thing, is that the, the dry run of the Orwellian nightmare, which we, we ran, I think, in, during COVID, um, it failed for the authorities. And so I'm, uh, I guess what I'm, what I'm saying about the, the Twitter, what I, just to rephrase what I was saying at the beginning about the Twitter thing, I am more interested in having a thorough, <laughs> vicious, merciless, relentless series of hearings and trials for people who lied. I want to make it so painful, the idea of lying to the American public again, so painful to the people who did it, that they never do it again. The only way to restore trust in the system is for everybody to admit how bad the system was. I agree. I agree. And here's, if I may, this is yeah. one reason I'm so pleased by what, yes, I know we've got to get to a spot, but I want to say this. This is one reason I am so pleased that Rob is doing what he's doing, and before this podcast is over, he's going to have to tease it to the extent of a sentence or two. The government failed. People like Fauci told us whoppers. But the government always fails. Right. And they're always telling us whoppers. What, to my mind, was distinctive about this catastrophe was that the press covered up for them. Yeah. And what you're doing is one step, it's one something. And because you do this stuff well, it'll be a big something toward the recovery <laughs> of, the, of the duties of the press. It's, it's, it is an after-action report that'll tell the truth, and it'll tell the truth about the press as well. Right, the press covered up for them because they loved this new set of rules, and they loved working from home, and they loved ordering the door to All of it, exactly but, right, exactly right. They, they enjoyed being the people who were the best at following the rules. But hey, you know, folks, now, you know, of course, it's done. I'm sorry, is it, it, COVID isn't over. According to the people on Reddit, we're still in the pandemic phase. Now, the rest of us are out and about in the world which means we're going to restaurants. Exactly. However, the thing is, is, you can't always go to the restaurant. Sometimes it gets expensive. You want to cook at home. You don't have to stay at home anymore, but sometimes it's nice to have a gorgeous, great, delicious, aesthetically appealing meal at home. Well, that's where Factor comes in. Listen, power up for springtime. It's coming with Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit. Get nutritious, chef-prepared meals delivered straight to your door, leaving you time and energy to tackle everything else on your to-do list. Look and feel your best in time for warmer weather as well with calorie-smart meals that are on 550 calories or less. Too busy to cook? Well, you know, we all are sometimes. Well, with Factor, you can skip the trip to the grocery store and skip the chopping and the prepping and the cleaning up, too. Factor is fresh, never frozen. Nope, nope, nope. And the meals are ready in just two minutes. So all you have to do is heat and enjoy. They have delicious, flavor-packed meals to help you live life to the fullest. You can choose from keto, from vegan, vegan, veggie, calorie smart, and protein plus options on the menu each week. With 34 chef-prepared, dietitian approved weekly options, there's always something new to try. You can enjoy meals for any time of day, too. Breakfast options like egg bites and smoothies and more. Plus, you can replenish your snack supply with an assortment of 45 or more add-ons. 
You want to cut back on takeout? Yes, you do. Get Factor instead. Not only is Factor cheaper than takeout, but the meals are ready faster than a restaurant delivery. Just two minutes. You order from those guys in the phone, it comes an hour. It's cold. No, not with Factor. Put the time and money you saved into, I don't know, planning activities for when the weather warms up. Get Factor and enjoy clean eating without the hassle. Simply choose your meals and enjoy fresh, flavor-packed meals delivered right to your door. Ready in just two minutes, as I said. No prep, no mess. Head to factormeals.com slash ricochet50 and use the code ricochet50 to get 50% off your first box. That's right. Code ricochet50 at factormeals.com slash ricochet50 to get 50% off your first box. You can find the link in the code at ricochet.com, of course. And we do thank Factor for sponsoring this, the Ricochet Podcast. And now we welcome back to the podcast our old friend Jack Fowler, Senior Director of Strategic Partnerships for American Philanthropic, a Senior Fellow at the Center for Civil Society, and the co-host of the Victor Davis Hanson Show. He's with us to talk about the great James L. Buckley, who just yesterday celebrated his 100th birthday. Welcome, Jack. James, my friend, I thank you for having me. Can I just say two things before uh, we get into Jim Buckley? The first Can you say one thing? Can you make it one? (laughs) <laughs> no, it has to be two. The first is, uh, you know, I don't read ads like uh, you just read on Factor, and we have uh, toenail fungus cure ads slash Victor, Victor.com. So I'm envious of the kind of advertising you have on this terrific podcast. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a Ricochet sub- subscriber. The second thing is, of course, uh, being with you. James and Rob and Peter, even though I'm looking out the window, I'm seeing my neighbor has a dumpster out there. I have visions of National Review cruises in my head. I can even smell (laughs) pina coladas somehow or other. So it's great to be with you. It's good. It's been a long time. So we would like to talk about what you've been doing and all the rest of that stuff. But Mr. Buckley, let's say somebody said, Buckley, I've heard that name before. I was talking with some Canadians in Mexico last week, and I mentioned Buckley. And three out of the four of them all knew who William F. Buckley was. Oh, really? Still, that's good. Yeah, it is good. So the name persists. But tell us about James L. Buckley. Well, Jim was the older brother of Bill, and as Buckley's go, well, as and I, I know Peter knows this because he's interviewed uh, Jim Buckley a few times on Uncommon Knowledge. Uh, Jim was uh, not a smoker, which is why he's a hundred years old. He's quiet man, healthy, very dignified. In many ways, uh, very different from uh, Bill. Not that. Uh, don't don't play off the dignified as if Bill is undignified, but Bill Buckley was an impish man, a, st- a mixer, stirred it up. He created a movement, and Jim uh, was a very quiet man. He just wanted to be a a he's a Yale graduate, Yale Law School. He just wanted to be a country lawyer. But the fickle finger of fate decided in the mid nineteen sixties that Jim uh, had uh, much more in public service to uh, to perform, unbeknownst to him. And I can tell that story quickly, James, if you'd like to hear it. We would? Okay. Well, you know, after the debacle of the 1964 presidential election, where you know Barry Goldwater was just devastated, uh, and um, there's an important Buckley train of events that happens quickly. In 1965, a year later, Bill Buckley runs for mayor of New York, and he, of course, he does not win. But, but he, he does better. He does better than might have been expected, right? Much, much better. In he, Queens and Staten Island, especially, there were people who loved him. 
Trump territory, you know, yes. from the outer boroughs. Yes. He, right. he, he right. did remarkably well. The following right. year, now there's a conservative party in New York, an official line. A man named Paul Adams runs for governor against Nelson Rockefeller, and I forget who the hell a Democrat was, but he pulls a significant amount of votes. So the feeling is, wow, this party, there's some element here that maybe we can either you know, uh, uh, outpoll out the Republicans or really make the Republicans more conservative. I think that was the larger goal. 68 election, Jacob Javits, liberal Republican, is up for re-election. And Jim Buckley, at Bill's instigation, decides to uh, throw his hat in the ring. I'll run Wait, for at Senate. Bill's instigation, though, I think is recurring. Well, Well, Bill said, you know, I did my duty. I ran for mayor in 65. I think literally the phrase was, it's your turn uh, to Jim. And Jim said, I will run as long as I'm not going to win. He understood that this was to be a symbolic event. And it was symbolic, but powerful, because when the votes were counted, and this is the 1968 uh, U.S. Senate election, a uh, conservative party candidate, Jim Buckley, pulls over a million votes. So people are shocked by this uh, outcome. 1970 is another election coming up because Bobby Kennedy, New York senator, is, is assassinated. He's replaced by Republican Charles Goodell, who is the uh, father of the current uh, NFL commissioner, by the way. But he was sort of a conservative-ish congressman from, from the Buffalo area. So he's up. He now he's going to run for that seat officially, having been appointed. Dick Ottinger, who's a liberal Republican, liberal excuse me, Democrat congressman, is a Democrat nominee. So you have two liberals because, be, despite being quote unquote conservative in, in in the House, Goodell <laughs> immediately went left. So the so the powers that be thought, you know what? Now Jim, this a conservative could win this race. A conservative could could uh, uh, get a plurality of votes, uh, right. from, and that's exactly what happened. Jim Buckley decided he was never going to run again. One and done. I'm not doing it again, except when when it was put to him. Well, you know, you could win. This you could time. win. Yeah, this time like, you could win. You know what? I think I can win. So he ran. He he, he was such a. Jim Buckley is the most dignified and wonderful man. Christian, his brother Jim, uh, brother Bill called him the sainted uh, junior senator. Well, that's after he won. But he had such dignity, which was such a counterpoint to the chaos in New York of 1970. Right. right. And Jim was is not a glad handler. You know, you will not confuse him on the campaign trail with, say, Bill Clinton or anybody. You know, he's not a backslapper. But he was the man for the moment. And the people... Um, is, there was a there was a, a Jack. Uh, I, I can can may I come in yeah, a little sure, bit? Peter. I could, yeah, I could yeah, add yeah. just a little bit of color because I was a kid in upstate New York in 1970. In, I think I was in ninth grade, as I recall. And here's the situation in New York State in 1970. My father gets home and reads the evening newspaper every day, and he's shaking his head. And I can't tell whether he's shaking his head at what the Democrats have just done or what the Republicans have just done, because the state was totally dominated by the Rockefellers and the liberal Republicans. There was no room, and upstate, we were conservative. There was no room. The Albany County always voted Democratic, Buffalo, but upstate, Binghamton, New York, we were conservative. And there was no place for conservatives to go. Jim Buckley's 1970 campaign slogan was, a senator for the rest of us. 
Right. And in upstate New York, we knew just what he meant. We knew just what he meant. And he was this extremely, he came and campaigned. Actually, no, this was after he was in the Senate. He came and did a trip. He went to the, um, was the only political figure my parents showed any interest in. He turned up at the Vestal Public Library to answer questions. And I remember be thinking, I don't, I don't know, a United States senator, this is a glorious figure. And he showed up in a rumpled suit and took off his jacket. And I remember, all I really remember is how gracious and how, how quiet spoken he was. People were constantly straining to hear what he had to say. And also that his shirt tail was out. <laughs> this proof, proofs that Anne, his, his wife was not traveling with him. His no. Oh. This, in any event, that was the, the, there was for, if you were a conservative in New York, there had been no place to go since 1956, I believe, is when Nelson Rockefeller was first elected governor. So it was a liberal Republican and then a liberal Democratic establishment. There was nowhere to go. And then this dignified, well-spoken, sweet, charming man becomes our hero. Yeah, uh, Peter, the, the uh, uh, advertising line was, isn't it time we had a senator? That's Luckily, it. That's it. There was a that's question it. and answer. All this. it was very powerful ad campaign run by uh, Clifton White, uh, and I think Roger Ailes was also involved in the campaign way way back. So, well, Jim was uh, you know quickly. I mean, he was elected. He only served one term because he ran in his reelection seventy six, which was a tough year for Republicans, of course. But uh, uh, Daniel Patrick Moynihan uh, was the Democrat <laughs> nominee, and, and uh, but then Jim went on to serve in the Reagan administration administration as an undersecretary of state right. uh, ambassador to the mexico city uh conference and after that he was appointed uh, uh nominated and confirmed as a u.s judge where he is by all accounts was on the u.s uh uh court of appeals for the district of columbia which some people could call the, you know the little supreme court right uh he was uh regarded as with most distinction there of all of all the uh, judges uh, uh, sitting. So uh, you, I know people have heard this before, but in, in American history, there are only 45 people who have ever served in all three branches of government, uh, executive, federal, legislative. And Jim Buckley is one of them, and he's the only one alive who's done that, and the only one in modern American history who's done that. And uh, his service to America has just been so profound, and his service to the conservative movement not only as somebody who galvanized the movement politically with his election in 1970, but as you stated, Peter, Peter the, the dignity of this man um, has so so impressed so many uh, people over the years. So he was just not a one-shot, one-term, got in by luck or by, you know, the stars aligned correctly, a political event, which was true. I mean, it was the stars did align, but he really has had a profound impact on conservatism. And finally, I will shut up, <laughs> is that he sure. has been so active. <laughs> he's he's a hundred, he turned a hundred yesterday, but you know, he was writing books until the age of nine, you know, early nineties. He was still right. giving public speeches as of two two years ago. So this, this, by the way, this, we should also add the conservative as he was, the sense of dignity and honor. He was elected on the Conservative Party ticket in New York, but when he got to the Senate, he caucused with the Republicans, right. which is why he is known as the first Republican member of the Senate to call on Richard Nixon to resign. He did. Um, he was he was at at odds with other um, conservative. There wasn't you know that uh, overwhelming a conservative block of senators, but you know Barry Goldwater 
was right. a colleague. And yeah, Jim was the first person to do that, did that um, at odds with some of the others. But it, it took a lot of uh, a lot of nerve to do that. By the way, of the um, there's only one member of Congress who is ser- still serving while, while Jim was in office, and that is Charles Grassley, who was a oh, member of the House man. at the time, and Joe Biden, his colleague of, of Jim Buckley in in the U.S. Senate. Yeah, well, with Biden's age, I'm glad. I, I'm guessing his telomeres are about a you know one ninth nice the segue. size of what Mr. Buckley's would be. Well, you know, you're as young as you feel, or are you, or as old as you look, or, well, you know what, here's the thing, extending lifespan, that's great, I guess, but what if you could extend your lifespan and feel younger at the same time? That's the grail, isn't it? Well, according to a Harvard scientist and a Nobel Prize winning breakthrough, it's absolutely possible. How? Well, by lengthening your telomeres. Your telomeres protect your DNA, and they play a critical role in the aging process. But many of us struggle with shortening telomeres thanks to stress and unhealthy food, obesity, more. That's why we recommend Youth Switch. Youth Switch, it's an all-natural, doctor-approved, manufactured right here in America, contains a potent blend of adaptogens that promote healthier telomeres and longer lifespans, boosts energy, and can support regeneration of healthy organ systems as well. You can try it risk-free today and receive a free bottle of ageless brain as a bonus it's a great product to help you improve your focus memory and your mood you'll also receive four bonus ebooks to boost every aspect of your health and longevity so go to youthswitchmd.com slash ricochet to claim your supply of youth switch and all five of those bonus gifts that's youthswitchmd.com slash ricochet to order youth switch today and find out more about this great product and we thank youth switch for sponsoring this the ricochet podcast well, I have a, Rob. Rob is going to be the one who sums this up. With, what do you tell you? You've written for National Review for I don't know how long. All of us have read National Review. I was fortunate enough to know. Well, I think all of us were fortunate enough to know the Buckleys. Jack right. better than any of us, but I got all right. Anybody here? I sit on the Stanford campus. These twenty, these extremely bright twenty-two-year-olds have no clue who the Buckleys were or why they mattered. How would you? How would you? How would you? What statement would you make, Rob, that would enable people to understand why they matter to all four of us? You mean Jack? <laughs> you know what I mean? You mean you the guest? No, no. Thought, I mean oh to God. Rob. I mean to Rob. You, this is a question for me, Peter. Yes, it is. Yes. Oh, oh, I would say. I mean, I. I mean, I don't. I mean, I, don't, I would say for Bill. I think the idea was that he articulated when it seemed as if, um, and in fact, it was true that the the culture and the political culture certainly, and the, um, you know, the broader culture of the United of America had absolutely done with the idea of sort of individual liberty and capitalism by the by the end of the World War II, for, for, and, and for, for some good reasons and bad reasons, right? I mean, a sudden, a sudden about-face in what it expected from the government after um, the Depression, sudden about-face for what we thought the government could accomplish after it accomplished this amazing task in the 40s of smashing Hitler's Europe. It was a massive federal program, if you want to think of it that way, that was incredibly effective. It was also very expensive, and it was also very wasteful, but it, it accomplished the mission. And then you had a bunch of people coming back home in the 50s, the late 40s and 50s, who expected the federal government to do things like build highways and stuff. And um, what, what, what needed to happen was somebody had to re-articulate or an, adjust 
what it meant to be a conservative, a conservative American. And for Bill Buckley, I think it meant in the 50s, it meant that you couldn't, you, you, you weren't going to be an, uh, an old New England bigot, right? So he, he kind of, you know, cleaned out the stables of the conservative movement. And he articulated a set of principles that was incredibly attractive to people. And, and he did a thing that I think the Buckley sort of is a sort of a, you know, Buckley Inc. What they really were was they were sort of comet in a big comet in the sky, you know, and mm. people just kind of followed them and they inspired a whole bunch of other study set off a whole lot of sparks that lit a whole lot of little fires all over the country, including one with a, you know, a union leader in Los Angeles in the late fifties who Ronald Reagan, who was a, inspired by a, 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 a thoughtful, fun, articulate statement of conservative purpose that you could read national review and there was, it was funny and smart. It still is. But I think at the time it had, it, it didn't seem like you, despite his saying, we stand athwart history and yell stop, which was sort of a joke. He, he was not by any means a Luddite. He was not trying to turn the clock back. He was a, very modern guy. And I think that was what they did. They say they took a, what was in fact kind of an ossified old cobwebby American theory of what, what conservatism really meant in the twenties and thirties and forties. And he said, no, 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 we have to be conservatives for the 21st century. And I think that's what they did. Buckley but, King. Is that fair, pro- Jack? But, but the, yeah. but the problem isn't it though, when you, if you Rob saying you, you tell this to the 20 year olds, the 22 year olds on Peter's mm-hmm. campus, it's a long time ago. It's like when it I was really in high is. school coming up and telling me all about Calvin Coolidge and what I could learn from Roughly him. Roughly right. correct. Yes, that's right. Um, and so, I mean, do we not run the risk? Well, of course we do. Of just seeming like, uh, to use Rob's phrase, ossified and cobweb bound when we're com- constantly reaching back to touchstones that are gone. It means something to us, but time moves on. And kids today, telling them to look to Reagan and Buckley, which would be wise, uh, it doesn't seem to seem uh, seed cast on stony ground. Well, it, the, even if you're the most lefty Reddit obsessed kid, you do know there's a conservative movement and the curiosity of, well, how did this thing come to be? Because prior to National Review in a center-right nation, we're still a center-right nation. It was more of a center-right nation in the mid fifties. Uh, there was no, no rap, no thing that rallied it. And that was right. a National Review. That was Bill Buckley. Right. Look, if right. I was alive then and tried to create National Review, we would not have a conservative movement because it's by the virtue of the particular character uh, characteristics and dig and what the traits that bill had rob you your your thing about you know comet uh, uh they were just in inspired bill was an inspiring person in his very right you know, larger than life way and jim buckley was inspiring in his dignified way so the two of them as a fraternal tag team were essential to cre- creating the political movement that like it or not exists today. People okay. sh- who want to know how this came to be should get to know who Bill Buckley is, who Jim Buckley is. Okay, so um, give me a little kind uh, of like as much as you want to say. What's the state of conservative media today? Oh, I mean, it doesn't. It seems like more choices, <laughs> right? It's louder and noisier, and there are more places to go. More choices and dumber. Much dumber. But is that, what do you think? Well, I, I think it's, look, I, it's hard for me, particularly, who, who 
walked through the doors of National Review 40 years ago to unwind uh, these things, because at one point, National Review was the only game in town. And Bill Buckley right. was so happy that other entities came about, even competitors, uh, take the week, you know, of late, the Weekly Standard. Uh, of course, Rush Limbaugh. But we're all I took for- I, just for you. I took a little shot at the Weekly Standard in an email to Bill no. when uh, it was something along the lines of, "Well, this new magazine won't be anything like National Review." And Bill wrote back a very sharp reply: <laughs> yeah. "We should all be delighted that now there's another one." Right. Well, and th- we should be delighted that there is a plethora of of uh, means of. Remember, it's 24 hours in a day. I have to get my, if I want my conservatism, I have to get it somehow. Either I'm reading the magazine, listening to podcasts, watching Fox, Newsmax, whatever. So there's plentiful out there. I guess when it becomes more plentiful, the the, uh, uh, level of... Having started as a a journal of opinion and high intellectual, there's no way to go on the intellectual level, but down, that doesn't mean it's bad. You know, Rush Limbaugh was not a reading uh, uh, from... um, uh, Burke. Yeah, Burke, right. But he was still meaningful and influential. So uh, Bill loved him, by the way. we I yes, loved him. So, so uh, but that said, um, you know, there's too much. This not necessarily applies to conservative journalism. There's a lot of echo chambering going on, and that's the thing that yeah. concerns me most. Yeah. So. By the way, I just looked up, Jack. I looked this up on Amazon. If people want to experience Jim's prose... Which, again, is not, it's him. It's not Bill. Bill's prose is spectacular, and there's so much motion. And Jim's is beautiful. Beautifully, you have the feeling of something really carefully wrought, craftsmanlike. There are two books of essays, Freedom at Risk, Reflections on Politics, Liberty, and the State, that was published in... uh, I I had the date here. 2012? 2012, and Saving Congress from Itself, Emancipating the States and Empowering Their People, which was published in 2013, I think, 2013 or 2014. So I make that point that they're available on Amazon and also that James Lane Buckley turned 100 yesterday, and yet he's still more recently published than Rob Long or Peter Robinson. (laughs) (laughs) Well, or me. (laughs) Yeah, I've read some books. James does. James publishes all the time, but he's never, he's not done a book. So that's. uh, What do you mean I've not done a book? I've got seven of them. I just got a royalty check from the guys. Oh, wait a minute. Random House House tracked me down and said, look, we can't find your agent anymore. And I was, I I told him, yes. (laughs) The man has outlived his agent. That's because he was first A, a crook, and then second B, dead. Um, But they had some royalties from a book that I published in 2001, and they wanted to ship off to me. So that was great. You know, if I may, writing for Jim Buckley was much more of a struggle than yes. his brother. Jim, a Bill would go upstairs during a dinner and crank out a column in 20 minutes and come back down mm-hmm. for dessert. Mm-hmm. Jim, this is one of the reasons he was not reluctant to, to be on the uh, federal judge, but it really did mean, you know, you're writing a judicial opinion. It's not, uh, it's not 750 words. And writing came slowly to him, but so uh, he it, that the judgeship really consumed him in, mm. entirely because of just the the amount of work that went into it. But he was he was extremely highly respected as a judge. Well, I'm glad that you came to tell us about him, and I'm sure he's honored by the words that you said. And 
Yes, Peter? I was just going to say, how is he? Have you? I sent him an email of congratulations. I assume he was overwhelmed. But he's still emailing and chatting on the phone, as I understand it. Yeah, he is. One of my former colleagues saw him a few weeks ago. Jim, uh, you know, there was a hope that there would be a celebration, of course, for 100. But uh, he's still with it. These, the marbles have not been lost, but the mobility uh, has taken right. a hit of late. So, uh, right, But he's, right. he's, um, there's no dotage going on with Jim Buckley. Well, um, which you cannot say for some yeah. of us on this podcast, <laughs> really. May we all not live so long as to have our insufficiencies revealed for all. But Jack, we wish may you live a hundred years. And you know, we got to have you on next time to talk about what you're doing because your contribution to National Review and the movement is big and extraordinary and long lasting. We love you for it. Well, thanks and for having. We love you for having you on the show as well. We'll God have thanks. you back, ladies and gentlemen. Jack Fowler. Thanks. Um, See you later. Thanks, Jack. Uh, thanks, Jack. All right, guys. Thank you very much. What you could say is that these guys back in the 50s, be it a Coolidge or a Reagan or a, a Buckley, planted seeds. Hmm. Oh, later, nice. They would, they would later grow into stout trunks. <clears throat> well, that's all the segue I'm going to do, because frankly... <laughs> that's a good one, though. I, I like stout you. trunks. Mm -hmm. Stout trunks, limbs of girth. Yeah. Remember we were talking before about how spring is coming, which it is, which is why you should you know look at what you're going to eat. You should also look at what you're going to do with your yard. I'm looking at my yard and thinking this year I might actually get myself an electric lawnmower. I know it sounds like one of those crazy, you know, green future things, but uh, I just want to do the whole Eddie Albert land spreading out so far and wide feeling <laughs> and mowing your own lawn. I do. I get it. And maybe, uh, you know, maybe I'll plant a tree here and there. I got a lot of trees, but anybody who has a lot of trees know that they die and you can always have more. I'd love to have my entire backyard be like the black forest. I don't know why people just don't plant 50, 60 trees backyard. Would you like to do that? One or 60? Well, listen, breathe life in your own backyard with fastgrowingtrees.com and do it this spring. From shade to fresh fruit to privacy to natural beauty, let fastgrowingtrees.com help you plant your dream garden with their expert advice and their fast, reliable shipping. Fastgrowingtrees.com's plant experts curate thousands of easy-to-grow plant and shrub and tree variations for your unique climate. Meyer lemons to evergreens and everything in between. Happy plants, happy home, right? Well, sometimes it's hard to know which plants will do best. No problem, though, because with FastGrowingTrees.com, you get customized recommendations based on your specific needs. Plus, their plant experts are always available to help keep your plants growing healthy throughout the season and beyond. No more waiting in long lines and hauling heavy plants and round. No, no. With FastGrowingTrees.com, you order online and the plants arrive to your door in just a few days, which I've done, and it's great because I'm not pulling, vacuuming, scraping dirt out of my trunk for the next couple of weeks. Plus, what I love about this, and I'm going to use them again come the spring, is we got some Arbor Vitae that are dying because they're dumb plants. But for some reason, we just keep putting them in again and again and again because they fill the gap and the need and the rest. My wife is tired of them, and we're going to go and get the plant experts to tell us what we need based on where we live. So it's not, you know, some generic big warehouse somewhere. They're going to help us find precisely what we need, and I'll, kill them. I'll tell you how it, keep, how it turns out with fast growing trees 30 day alive and thrive guarantee which i love because i can kill any plant on site you know everything's going to look great fresh out of the box join 1.5 million happy fast growing trees customers go to fastgrowingtrees.com slash ricochet do it now and you get 15 percent off your first entire order get 15 percent off at fastgrowingtrees.com slash ricochet and we thank fast growing trees for sponsoring this the ricochet podcast I got some uh, housekeeping here to come uh, to do. Rob, I believe you have a brief note about human beings actually communing in a shared space that is not cybernetic or virtual. 
caught him flat-footed there, didn't I? In radio, we call this, we, in radio, we call this dead air, and we would abhor it. Podcast, some people seem perfectly willing to let it go on as long as they want. They oh, boy, that was so embarrassing. I, I was talking, and you were talking over me, and I was like, why is he talking? Why is he talking over me? And I realized, okay, I had a cough, so I have a, I had a mute. Um, I do have a cough, so uh, we uh, do, in fact, have ricochet meetups. That's what you're talking about. We have meetups mm-hmm. and ricochet where real people get together and have fun. Uh, and there's some that are coming up. There's the last call coming for the John meet John Gabriel in Phoenix. So if you're in the Phoenix area, sign up quickly. Um, you know, get to meet the king of stuff. Um, they'll they meet uh, on March 11th, which is like uh, Saturday. So. If it's you're, if you're one of those people who listens to this podcast on Sunday, um, go to Ricochet and see how the meetup was. People usually <laughs> post pictures and stuff. Uh, a bunch of us are going to be in New Orleans next month for French Quarter Fest. Um, we, uh, including me, and I hope to see you there. Um, um, Flickr in Stillwater, Minnesota, is having a meetup that is happening April twenty second in Stillwater, Minnesota, I, Minnesota. That's I know, up, uh, I hope, your neck I, of woods. I hope to make it, unless, of course, I'm in Barcelona, and I don't want to go through that again. Okay, I was right, by the way, about Barcelona. Uh, and uh, uh, we just heard that Winston Salem meetup. There's a Winston Salem meetup in the works for mid July. So, um, if you're in that area, if you're not in you know, those areas or those dates don't work for you, here's the solution: you just join Ricochet. Post that you want to have a meetup somewhere closer to you on a date that works for you, and I guarantee you, people will show up. People at Ricochet tend to show up. Uh, and have a good time. So details uh, on all this stuff is at Ricochet. So go to ricochet.com slash events or find the module in the sidebar of the website. Join Ricochet. Come to a meetup. Look forward to seeing you. Meetups are good like a Ricochet should. When you mentioned Winston-Salem, when I was a kid and discovered that actually there was a city called Winston-Salem because I was just aware of it in its cigarette incarnations because my sure somebody in my family smoked Winston's, my uncle. Uh, and then uh, one of the ants was puffing away at the Salem's to discover that those are actually, it was one city. I was just absolutely blown away. What's next? Marlboro <laughs> Lark? Where do you live? <laughs> I, I live in Durrell, Kent. Yeah, I live uh, in Terryton. Terryton, yeah. I had an aunt that smoked Terryton, too. And, uh, you know, virtually all the cigarette brands were distributed amongst my aunts and uncles. Right down to the Raleigh's, which had the coupons. You could see, you could. Oh yes, that's right. And you had to wonder about a cigarette whose quality was such that they had to give you these coupon enticements that you would collect for, you know, things like golf, you know, you know, uh, <laughs> oxygen tanks and the rest of it. But they all had their own individual brands, which I to this to this day, when I when I hear Winston Salem, what pops into my head is my uncle Myron and uh, and my aunt. Uh, who, who was it? Was it Vi? I think Vi smoked those. Anyway, um, it's another marker of adulthood that uh, kids don't grow up with. They don't know Bill Buckley, and they don't know cigarette brands. Anyway, it's kids, kids, kids today. So what else have we going on before we leave? We could talk about anything in the world. We could talk about what we happen to be. We used to do this, you know. We used to say what we were what we were watching the streaming thing to give people an idea of something else to watch. I have a question, though. Can I ask yeah. a question? Mm-hmm. Well, we, we, mm-hmm. we only briefly discussed it, but I, 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 this is a legit question. So, um, when you went to Mexico, James, mm-hmm. yes, did you feel at risk? No, and, and, and here's why I ask, because I go to places where uh, then people say, oh, I would never go there. 
Mm-hmm. I would. Were you safe in Jerusalem? Were you safe in Egypt? Mm-hmm. Were you right about me? And I think, yeah, I'm perfectly safe. And then I, the, but but I do sometimes look at the news and think, I'm not going to Mexico. Yeah, well, you know, in the cub and the the uh, the Cancun subreddit, which is interesting, you had all these people who were just coming in with their hands a flutter, saying, "I heard about all this cartel violence. Is it safe to go to Cancun?" You know, that's like saying there were, there's a whole bunch of drug wars going on in Washington State. Is it safe for me to go to Disneyland, Disney World, Disney World in Florida? The answer is yes. Now, is it in t- is it possible that somebody could come up alongside of our van and wave the guy over and and relieve us of our property? Mm, yes. Could happen in Minneapolis, too. Now, Mexico is a lot more lawless in that respect, but I tend to think that there's a uh, an understanding that the cash cow that is this enterprise shall not be uh, shall not be gutted and shot. So I don't I, I feel no. Plus, I'm way up there. Uh, right. But do you feel like I mean, I, I guess what I'm asking is that there people are, there were hearings or people are, I saw a lot of senators and people making speeches on TV after this. Do you feel like the American government, I mean, it seems like that's the lever we should pull is to say, mm-hmm. you know, maybe America should rethink going and spending their money in Mexico as tourists. It doesn't seem terribly safe. Or at least don't go there for uh, off-brand plastic surgery, I suppose. Because the, I, w- the, I would the, say, yeah, the, don't go down there for medicine or to buttock or, 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 or the rest of it. Um, but, I mean, there it, it, not there talk now about putting on the table the American military option to deal with, uh, with drugs and cartels? Bill Barr published a piece in the Wall Street Journal, was it this week or late last week? I think it was this week. Saying, Bill Barr, former Attorney General right. of the United States, saying that we sh- that the United States military should handle the cartels in Mexico, that the drug deaths the in this country and the undermining of Mexican society, that the Mexican government and military cannot handle them on our own. And Bill Barr essentially called for the first invasion of Mexico by the United States since the Pancho Villa expedition of 1917, when Black Jack Persian chased Pancho Villa all around Sonora. It's been uh, a while, you know, old times. And I thought, you know, I couldn't find a flaw in his argument, but I still thought, oh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh. By the way, is it, the question, is it safe? Somebody I know well was a, an executive at a pretty big bank down in Mexico. And Every executive from the level of vice president and up was either kidnapped or had a member of his family kidnapped. Every single one. Routine. And very dangerous. Because every so often the kidnappers have to kill somebody to remind you that we're serious about wanting ransom. It's I, not, right. it's, I, I, yeah. I go to a, a, an isolated simulacrum of the experience that I in no way confuse in any in any sense with actual Mexico. And that includes the food. Right. Um, it, 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 it is it is what it is. It's this fantasy little bubble in which you live. And that's great. But we all know that Rob Long believes that the problem is not consumption and demand in America, but Mexican production. That's why you, Rob, are in favor of a full throated military response to the cartels. Right. <laughs> no, I'm not. I, uh, I I read that Bill Barr piece, and I I, I uh, no, I I think that that's not our solution. Our solution is, but you know, let's. I mean, I'm always low hanging fruit. Do the easy stuff first. First, control the border, mm-hmm. get border control, and second, put economic pressure on Mexico to clean itself up. In in the sense of like telling Americans they shouldn't go to Mexico, they shouldn't. 
I mean, I, I really, I would do that before I would invade. I would say, listen, State Department issues an, a, a, an alert for a lot of places. We're going to issue an alert for the entire nation of Mexico. Don't go mm-hmm. until, uh, until the streets are safe. Yeah. Uh, and I think that would get the attention of a lot of people in Mexico who kind of think like, well, yeah, if you go here, you go there, you go to that state or that state or the other state, you're going to get in trouble. But, you know, basically you can get off your cruise ship. No, don't go on the cruise ships. Mm-hmm. I mean, that to, to, I would do that. It, I would do that kind of pressure before I would start sending American uh, military into Mexican territory so that they, uh, as uh, in the same way that the Look, you start dropping bombs on people and killing people, you're going to kill some innocent people and you're going to kill an innocent family. And that's going to be on you know the news. That's not a good idea. Certainly not until you've exhausted all the other possibilities. One of which I think is to get control of the border. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know, like why, why, why do it always the hard way? That's it's hard enough to get control of the border, but that seems like uh, job number one. Well, I think we could do it, though. Three days, we can march to Mexico City, install our own government. As a matter of fact, let's send the troops with the dress parade uniforms. Oh, wait a minute. Hold on. I've heard that story before. Uh, so before... Um, we'll be greeted as liberators. We will be greeted as liberators, indeed. Well, we, you know, some of us did. I remember a couple of happy people about when we pulled down the statues of Saddam. Uh, but then that's another story. Something else that I wanted to point out. I can't remember what it is precisely. Oh, right. Well, when Peter, when you talk about the kidnappings and the constant kidnappings and the rest of it. Yeah. I mean, that sort of seems um, only part of the problem. The other is that the new leadership in Mexico, from what I understand, is rejiggering their sort of election that's uh, right. overseeing committees and rules. It makes it more difficult to challenge the results, which just means it seems to be drifting back to, if it ever got too far away from the permanent institution, the permanent revolutionary institutional party that they had before. And that the hope that we had when they opened up and there was actually a, you know, a choice, uh, those days seem to be gone and Mexico's better days are behind it rather than ahead. However, Ricochet's better days are always ahead of it because we know that you, <laughs> the listener, if you're not a member already, will go and be compelled to join. Not compelled in the literal sense, but compelled by what you find. Now, mind you, if you go there, you're not going to find everything because the member feed were a lot of the real good communities and all the vivacious, interesting discussions about all kinds of topics. That's where, you know, that's the fun part. So go to Ricochet, give it a look, give it a try. If you don't like it, you can quit. You know, we're not going to one of those places that locks you into contracts and the rest of it. Are we guys? No. Okay, good. Um, I would also like to note that fast growing trees and youth switch and factor are all products that will make your life easier and or better support them for supporting us. And I think about the five-star review at Apple. Uh, we're not, I'm not going to say it this week because if I did, I would have to mention again that it takes only a couple of seconds. And again, it means that people find the podcast easier and it means that ricochet thrives. I've said that before. I'm not going to say it again at all. What I'm going to do is say it's been great. And Rob, Peter, We'll see everybody at the comments at Ricochet 4.0. Next week. Next week, boys. Next week, pals. Ricochet. Join the conversation.